Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Hello and welcome to the Ski Podcast. I am Jim Duncan. I'm joined by always, by always, as always, with Ian Martin. Hello, Ian. Hi there, Jim. How are you going? I'm very good, thank you. Um, even better that um, we are sponsored by the Chill Factory and the Northwest Premier Ski and Snowboard Centre. And if you want to get a discount on your next ski session at the centre, you can go um, to the checkout and use our special code SKIPOD10. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show at on Twitter at The Ski Podcast. Find us on Facebook or email jim at theskipodcast.com or you could email ian at theskipodcast.com. And if you want to be a bit more personal and touch us a bit closer, um, you can find Ian on Twitter at Skipedia or you can um, stalk me and my adventures in France on Instagram at The Average Skier. Um, coming up in today's show, we will be talking lift etiquette. I've been guiding. Ian has been to the Pyrenees. Dave, not that one, the other one, or the other one. There's quite a lot of Daves. He's given us some tips on moguls. We will round up the achievements of Team GB for this season as well. But first, Ian, I've got a sticker update for you. Oh, yeah. So last week I told you that there was a lifty in the cluiser with a sticker on his mobile phone of the ski podcast. Yeah, and you sat um, on a lift with I've... him again? No, I haven't been on the lift and seen him again. Um, but I did get a message from Wendy, who took me telemarking. Hi, Wendy. She says the Jumet's 2000 lift, he got your sticker from his friend, Chloe, who works at the tourist office. Ian, did you give Chloe the stickers? Uh, yeah, I, I've seen a few people in the tourist. Is she the girl who worked in New Zealand for a long time? I think I think it's probably her. There's a very I, I did a blog post a while ago about a fantastic a resort promo video that La Caluza did. And uh, yeah, I probably gave us some stickers then. Excellent. That is very So you weren't making it up then. I, I kind of wondered whether that was wishful thinking on your behalf. You know, this guy I'm sitting next to has is, got a ski podcast uh, sticker. But it's it's true. It all fits together. I love the ski industry. It is true. Maybe we should get Chloe some more stickers. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe La Caluza should be our sponsor. Oh, good idea. Um, right. <laughs> Let's push that. Chloe, sponsor the podcast. Um, Ian, uh, how do you do? You push in in ski lifts? Uh, well, when I was younger, I definitely, you know, my brother and I were very competitive about edging in and pushing in 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 ski lifts, and we do all we could to, you know, you get your skis just in front of someone and edge forward and stuff like that. But you know, after that discussion last week or the other episode when we talk about people eating fried food in lifts, made me think about other kind of lift etiquette. These days, I wouldn't really do it, unless there was some 
there was some little kid who was like me when I was younger trying to sneak past. I'd probably like stick my ski pole deliberately in the way to, to stop them doing it. Um, I've not had much need for pushing in at the moment. There's so few people who are literally just pushing in front of my wife, which would be completely pointless. It's true, actually. I mean, it, it might be because, um, you know, these days the lifts are that much better and you just don't get those those big bottleneck uh, queues uh, anymore in the way that perhaps you used to. And probably I never go skiing at half term anymore because I can't afford it. Whereas I think we probably had to go skiing at half term when I was a kid. Um, but did you then end up on the lift on your own? It, sometimes it would work out like that, but quicker you get to the top, the better, particularly if you're racing your brother. Because I think on your own, you can push through. I think I'd probably say it was a gentle snake through, wouldn't it, nowadays? Yeah. I would do that if I was skiing on my I mean, own. I do find it frustrating. When I was skiing last week in uh, in Act, there was a two-man chair. You don't get many two-man chairs these days. But the way the queue worked was that some people were going up with only one person on a two-man lift and there was a queue. I like it when lifts have that single skiers line. You know, they've always got an ESF line, haven't they? But some of them have a single yep. skiers line as well, and that's a very efficient way of doing it. All lifts should have that. Uh, does it count as pushing in if you go for a tactical entry? So, you know, you know, there's a big, um, like... Um, dovetail coming out at the back of the, the lift queue where people is and you know for a fact that on the left hand side that's where everyone joins the queue going around to the other side where less people join the queue is that technically pushing in no that's definitely not pushing in that's that's good queue management i i like the way you're thinking and my i mean if you're talking ski lift etiquette um i'd say don't stand on other people's kit it's just not very nice. No, I don't like that it. it makes me that that like little pushy kid who was me a bunch of years ago standing on your skis. Although most people get very excited about you know someone putting a ski on their top sheet, it's not really going to make that much difference. But, but yeah, don't stand on, don't much. stand on people's skis. Don't do it, kid. But it depends how much money you've spent on those skis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, if you've got higher skis, you're not that bothered, right? No. Ian, what's the latest about this Courcheval fire? I know you've got um, some more news about it. Yeah, I mean, that was really interesting. I can't recall exactly what episode we covered it in, but I'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. But there was obviously this fire where there were two fatalities in Courcheval 1850 in actually the accommodation that used to be the uh, club hotel uh, Isbo, which was owned by Skival, who uh, subsequently uh, ceased trading that we covered in our last episode. But I said uh, around the time that they thought uh, there would be a criminal investigation. And initially, the thoughts were that, you know, the landlord hadn't equipped the place properly. And that may still be uh, the case. But what it turns out is that the fire was arson. And it turns out to be a dispute over drug trafficking, uh, which I, I was kind of revelatory, I guess, uh, uh, to me. I'm pretty too innocent. But this guy who started it, he was found uh, arrested on the uh, French-Spanish uh, border, and he's a dealer from Montpellier. And he'd come up to uh, Courcheval. He'd found a couple of guys to sell cocaine for him in uh, Courcheval, and he'd gone up there to collect. Uh, and a dispute broke out. I guess the guys who were selling it, maybe you know, he didn't believe them that they they hadn't sold it or they didn't have enough money. He threatened them. Uh, he had a gun on him. He um, hit one of them. One of them managed to disarm him, and he and he basically took refuge in the building. And the guy, the drug dealer, set fire to the building. 
Um, and also, I didn't realise as well that the weapon he had with him. So the dealer ran off, he chucked the weapon away, and that was found. Um, and he's now been arrested. So God knows what will happen. But that is a hell of a story. I mean, already it was um, a pretty uh, serious thing. So there's all sorts of kind of ramifications, I guess, from that. That's insane. That is the sort of story I only expect ever to hear um, on a made-up TV programme or something like that. Yeah, well, they say, uh, uh, well, yeah, life can be um, worryingly more uh, entertaining than than fiction. Um, I do recall back in the day, um, one of the coach drivers when I was doing transfers told me that um, drug dealers from Lyon used to use um, apartments in Val to stash uh, their supply because no one would particularly pay any attention to people, you know, going in and out at strange times of night, etc. And it was easy for them to uh, to stash it all up there and then go into Lyon and, and sell it all. So, but, you know, regardless. Why did your uh, coach driver know this? <laughs> God knows why. Yeah, I guess I should have worried about that, given he was driving people early on a Sunday morning. But I guess he, he just knew all the, uh, the local people in the area. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you another question that I don't ask you very yep. often. I used to ask it to you yep. every week. Have you been skiing recently? Oh, yeah, I have, actually. It's good timing. because a bit of a while since I was last away, which was in Morocco at the end of uh, January. But last week I was in the French Pyrenees and I went down to a couple of resorts, um, uh, Les Angles and uh, Axe Trois de Main, which are both over on the eastern side of the uh, French Pyrenees. So um, you know, pretty, they, they effectively have a very strong Catalan influence uh, in that area. And uh, I think we're just going to run an interview now, which I did with uh, Jacques Marin, who's the commercial director for Axe Trois de Main. Uh, and he is talking a little bit about how they market uh, the resort and the different way they package together uh, um, lift passes, etc. Okay, so um, I'm here in uh, Axe-Trois-de-Main in the French Pyrenees and uh, currently just sitting with uh, Jacques Marat and he is the commercial director of Axe-Trois-de-Main. And we had a very interesting discussion uh, yesterday about all the different ways that you uh, kind of market the resort in terms of creating different packages. Yep. Um, one I found quite interesting, obviously aim more at the local market, but um, people can buy like a train and lift pass package from Toulouse. Yes, exactly. We have been working on this since 12 years because we have the chance to have a train station uh, down in Axe at 500 metres from the gondola. So we create um, a package with um, SNCF, the uh, society in yep. charge of the, of the way in France, uh, where you can buy in any uh, gar in Midi-Pyrénées, a train ticket with a lift pass including then you get 50% on the li- on the train ticket and 30% yeah. on the lift pass that gives great value. for example 45 euros for a day of ski with two hours of yeah. train and I think you said that you find well you, I think you told me what percentage of people who come take that package quite a high percentage wasn't it yeah you have that's can, representing uh, up to 20,000 ski days uh, through, the, through one season. Yeah. And, and the other uh, great thing about that is, I guess, is part of your remit for um, 
it reduces um, emissions if yeah. people come by train as well. Exactly, like we 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 like to communicate below carbon, you know. Sort of, and for the skiers, is not excessive. But uh, yeah. if you take the way, like when people go to the ski resort most of the time in car or in plane from from further, yeah. that's the below carbon change. So for sure, what builds the below carbon for skiers who come in train is really low, and we yeah. we really try to. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a, yeah. So there's a double better. double yeah. rationale exactly. there. So that's one way of doing it. One that I found more interesting, I think some of our listeners would definitely find interesting for anyone who maybe you know lives uh, near the Pyrenees you know or has a home out here or has relatives out here this is like a a pass that um you get a certain number of visits uh, between Monday and Friday so uh, it's a season pass for Monday to Friday only is that it yeah, season pass Monday to Friday, so that you get, um, his name is Privilege, yeah. um, and you get nearly 60% of the day through the winter season for ski, and uh, that's 210 euro, and you yeah. can ski as much as one from Monday to Friday out of the French public holidays, which is just the four weeks of February and two weeks of Christmas. Right, okay, yeah, so you could come any Monday to Friday outside Vacances yeah. Scolaire, yeah, exactly. and it's just 210 euros. Yeah. And what's a normal day pass here? 38. 38. So, so, so that just make basically in, in five, let's say six days. Yeah. You, it's like if. Uh, I mean, I was thinking that that could work for British people yes. who could fly out to Toulouse, you know, on a, fly out on a Monday, for example, and mm-hmm. go back on a Thursday or a Friday when flights are cheap as chips yeah. anyway. Uh, and have a really, you know, cheap trip. I think, you know, it's been called in some places a reverse ski weekend. Yeah. Well, it's for sure, if you can uh, able to come down here and ski from Monday to Friday, even at the time where the flight are usually cheaper, and especially yeah. like even like Tuesday, Thursday, and uh, you can do like two like two three trip and have like 15 days of ski through the season for 210 euros. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, it would. Uh, it, I can see it uh, working. One, we did some a survey a little while ago for the French Pyrenees. It shows a lot of people who come to visit these resorts have family already living down here, who've maybe retired down here. And I think you told me about some couple who you met in the lift queue one time who uh, yeah, didn't just, know about we, it. We heard, we heard about it because we definitely created uh, this lift pass at the beginning for locals because a lot of people, workers, who were asking for it right. and to have a reduced uh, lift pass. And we never thought about like communicated uh, around like hey because usually people go come here like through through the holiday and weekend yeah and when these people like this tom and maggie um came down here and uh, they heard about this this past and now they spend six weeks per 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 year here driving down from dordogne and skiing uh, like uh, 30 days through the season through yeah well, quite interesting. We'll see. I'm going to um, see about promoting that one a bit more. Um, I had another question. You talked about the local community. Yeah. Uh, also, you were saying to me that you do um, this kind of outreach activity, I guess it is, with local schools where you can invite yeah. them uh, up. And um, yeah. Do you want to explain exactly what yeah, you do we, there? Um, that name is Esprit Montagne, Spirit yeah. of Montaigne, uh, because we, we really need to... Um, to give the opportunity to the kids, um, the, especially the one in mid-school and even pr- uh, before primary, to, to ski. Uh, a lot of them cannot, like their parents cannot afford to, ski, to pay them a day of ski and right. that's kind of a, 
a shame for us to have like uh, kids like living 30 minutes and not even an hour from our ski resort and never have been in the snow. Yeah. So we we create this operation with the department in collaboration with uh, the ski rental, ski school, and with the ski patrol. Yeah. Uh, we do formation, uh, inform them about the danger in the mountains, the snow, and uh, every all the, all the things they have they can like like and understand about the mountain and, and, and that's uh, all free for them that, so this is right. it it's, it's aimed at 12 to 14 year olds yeah, yeah exactly the thing it's all free it's one day where they uh, the college come with the kids with the professor and yeah. it's all taking in charge about the different um, uh, partners of the ski resort yeah and, and i guess the benefit of that is that you know you know, we read in the UK that a lot of young people are preferring to choose other activities. You're looking at people who are on your doorstep, yet they yeah, never exactly. come skiing. Yeah, so yeah. this introduces and them to the resort. This, all these kids, for sure, it's giving them the opportunity to ski and gives them the, the feeling to ski. And the, yeah. the, the, like if they want to come back later on, like they learn to ski here and, uh, and they want to come back. And you know that that's your, your next customers. Yeah. Well, uh, that's really interesting. Uh, Jacques, thank you very much for that. I mean, personally, you know, I really like uh, uh, this uh, resort, thank and you. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to cover it in something else. But the fact that you can stay down in the valley there, you know, very short transfer to get up to here, but then you can enjoy thermal. I just want to reiterate this: it's so good. You can, uh, when you get down from the bottom of the mountain, uh, the lift at the bottom of the mountain, there's a thermal spring running through the main square yeah. and you can take your boots off and just dip your feet in there and uh, and ease and soothe your feet in a thermal spa at the end of the day, which I'm guessing is unique. I don't know if that exists anywhere else. I've never, never seen it anywhere else. Yeah. So thanks very much, Jacques. You're welcome. Well, that's a neat little idea, isn't it? Um, you buy your train ticket and you get your lift pass at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they... They obviously um, have to compete with, like every resort, they have to compete with a lot of other resorts. But what they have in uh, Axe Todderman and the town is Axe Le Therme, is that they have that direct train from Toulouse uh, into the resort, and that makes it a lot easier. And, you know, I really like the idea as well that it reduces their carbon emissions. You know, people don't need to drive and they don't need to worry about parking, congestion, etc. So that's a good deal. And um, did you suggest that they might want to introduce fish into the heated foot spas? <laughs> right, to nibble away the, the dead skin, is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if fish would survive in that kind of temperature. I mean, you know, it seemed to vary. The theory is that they they dilute that water to uh, to make it cooler. Um, but um, the second time I went down there to uh, to soothe my feet, it was so bloody hot, I couldn't keep them in there. So I'm pretty sure a fish would, would die if it was kept in there. Uh, nice thought, just <laughs> putting your feet in a fish soup, essentially. Yeah. There, <laughs> there, there is a, um, just to, to um, link on, uh, there is a run in, uh, in Axe Tardaman called the Mure. Do you know what that is in French? Um, Mure. No, go on. Oh, don't you? Okay, it's a wall. It's amazing how many oh. walls there are around the Alps, you know, these uh, steep slopes. Uh, there's obviously one in, well, there's one in Avoriaz, you know that one? I think it might be called the Chavonet, that's known as the wall. And I think there's one in Verbier. Swiss wall. Yeah, right, there you go. There's one in Verbier, isn't that called the wall as well? Uh, the, the, the name escapes me just now. 
Um, but anyway, all I can they, think of is John Muir, right. um, the man who invented national parks in America. <laughs> right. That's where my head is right now. Which uh, isn't helpful. No, but they're all they're very steep and they end up being mobile runs. And I think that you recently spoke to Dave, not that Dave, but that Dave about skiing moguls. Yeah, that's right. Um, the lovely Dave from uh, Snow Pro Ski School. He pops over to um, La Clusa to go skiing with me. We had a lovely day. Um, do ski instructors, they're not as hardcore as you think it is, you know. Um, and uh, at one point, it was towards the end of the day, he took me to one side and we found um, a nice little mogul field and he took me through exactly the correct technique to do it. This is the report. Um, so Dave has come to La Clusa to see us. Hi, Dave. Hello, mate. It's beautiful here, isn't it? It is very nice. Um, we spent us all day. We've been looking for some moguls and we've finally found some after we've all run out of energy. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to tell us how to achieve... Mogul perfection. Yes, there's bits and pieces involved in it, right? So, um, but the thing I really want to cover off with you today, which will help the large majority of people, is about the lines in moguls. When you can see the lines, moguls all of a sudden become much easier. So, uh, let's just go over here to this little mogul, and what we'll do is we'll we'll explain the the first line that we're going to look for. Okay. You can't see what I'm doing, I'm skiing to a mogul. So here is a mogul, right? There's a mogul here. And you can see it's a pretty well-shaped mogul, but you can see that there is a line around the left-hand side line, uh, side of the mogul and the right-hand one, right? That makes sense? And yep. what we're going to do is we're just going to, what we call go shopping for moguls, and we're going to look for left and right hand lines around the moguls, okay? And you're going to let your skis be steered in these sort of troughs that are around these moguls. You don't want to steer quicker than the mogul lets you, okay? So that's the first ones that we're going to try. This is like the round line is effectively what we're going to call it. Okay. Okay. I'll show you, and then you go shopping and see if you can find some round lines. Okay, thank okay. you. Now, I did think he was just going to um, go off really fast, but he's taken that quite slowly, so that seems to make sense. Next up. Not near, well. Do you want to debrief me on that? Yeah, debrief you on the first one. So the round line is generally the smoothest, okay, because it's got a nice kind of smooth track in it, and you just kind of pick your way and go round the bump. The other thing I forgot to mention before is just stick your pole in the top of the bump. Okay. And then just ski in the round line round. Okay. Sure. Round two, line two is called up and over. And what we're looking to do with an up and over is when you come to a bump, and we're standing on one now, right? Have a look at my skis. Is the front, I'm standing on top of the bump, listener. If I'm standing on top of the bump here, how much of the ski is attached to the snow um, here? It looks just to me like the, the amount that's under your foot. So that's right. Say less than a foot. So your ski sort of effectively becomes like a mini snow blade because the front and the back is off the ground. And what that means is they'll spin really easily. So you can go up onto the top of the bump and then literally just spin your skis off the top. All right. Okay. Now what I want you to do now is go shopping bump, but find up and over line, up on the top, spin your skis on the top, and then slide down back. Okay. okay. Easy. All right, so the other thing I forgot to say, same thing again, nice strong pole plant as you go up onto the top. Okay. Spin your skis on the top, come down. 
One of the things I noticed when Jim was skiing those bumps there is he let his hands go back behind him and that knocks you off balance. You've got to keep your hands in front of you in moguls, otherwise it doesn't work. Isn't that just everything from skiing? Not always, but yeah, in moguls especially. Your hands go back, you kind of had it. Falling? Yeah, that helps. Um, last one, okay, type three, is faces. Okay, so each mogul here, you're on one right now, Jim. Yep. Each mogul has a face. Yep, I'm drawing a smiley face in the front of it. Nice face. Yeah, and that's the face of the mogul, right? It's like landing on a step, because here, completely flat. Okay, so I could so use that to stop myself. You can use it to stop yourself. Wow. Now what we try to do, the, the way that we use it to stop ourselves, is we slide into the face, so skid into the face, and you suck up the stop, if you like. It's like, it's like jumping down a set of stairs almost. Yep. So have a look at this, I'll see if I can find some faces, and then uh, I'll show you what I mean. There's a nice yeah. face there. Nice face there, Take one there, look, here's one. Yeah. So we've got, going round. Round line. We've got round, spinning on the top. Up and over. Up and over, and we've got smashing people's faces. Smashing on the faces. Now here's the thing about that, the faces is probably the hardest one to execute. But, but you wouldn't want to go down the mountain just smashing faces all the way, really. right? Really. So the thing, this, this is the, the, the thing, right? When you're in moguls, it's not uniform. It's not like skiing down the piece. It's not, you're not making even turns. It's not like, for those kind of musical people around you, it's not like I'm making turns with an even rhythm. Moguls is a bit more like jazz, in that you kind of might do two like that, and then you might do two like that. You know, it, This really should of, be my thing. I can't even clap in time. Yeah, so if you go down here, just have a think about it from a sort of jazz perspective. And what I want you to do is, when you see a round line, ski a round line. When you see a, an up and over, then just go up and over, right? If you have these different skills in your armory, mogul fields all of a sudden start to make sense. And you can start to kind of plot a course through them instead of letting the mogul field happen to you. Okay. Alright. Can we give it a go down there? Um, yeah. Are you any good at moguls, Ian? Uh... It, you know, I generally don't go, don't go for <laughs> moguls these days, but back in the day when I was a season worker, um, you know, you used to have this uh, this competition. Moguls were big in more than one way, uh, you know, back in the 90s. And uh, there was something called the European Mogul Challenge. Do you ever hear of, uh, of that? I mean. It's a, it was a competition sponsored primarily by Drambuie. And there were three different events, one in Mirabel, one in Verbier, and one in Val d'Isere. And each one was a mogul uh, competition, head-to-head. -head. Uh, and I did the one in Mirabel a couple of times. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I was quite good at it then. I'm not sure I'd really want to do that now. I'm going to work on it. I think the, um, the lesson I learned and what Dave taught me, um, I want to put into practice and I want to try it more because I can only assume it will make you a better skier by being competent at moguls um, and challenging yourself. Um, also, Ian, another thing I wanted to say that Dave has um, copied us and he's got his own podcast. Hmm. I did notice he copied uh, us and, and um, it is specific. I like the idea that, you know, we're in a niche in that we're about skiing. He's in an even uh, kind of narrower niche, which is okay. A niche, a niche. Yeah, it's about ski instructors, and he interviews different uh, ski instructors about their philosophy and um, and things like that. And, you know, I have listened to them. It's probably a bit too uh, kind of in-depth for me, but someone who's really into technique or ski instruction philosophy will enjoy it. 
Yeah. And it's um, originally called the Ski Instructor Podcast. Its latest one is with Warren Smith. Um, if you're into that sort of things, do have a listen. It's time for everyone's favourite part of the show. It's the Steve Wright segment. It's review time. Uh, I'm going to start. We've got a lovely one from Husky. Um, I assume they tweeted this to us. It says, every time, best ski podcast out there. Cheers, Husky. Uh, there's another one, Ian. Um, uh, this was on Facebook, yep. and it's from the Facebook page, top five. Uh, no, it's called Feedspot Blog Reader. And we have been placed in the top five, the top five in the world, Olympic podcasts. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to say, Ian, it's an absolute privilege to be chosen by some poorly designed algorithm um, <laughs> to be to be in the top five Olympic podcasts. Yeah. And I implore no one, I implore no one to listen to our Tokyo Summer Olympics. Well, I, yeah, who knows if I don't think we'll be doing a, a Tokyo Summer Olympics. But the fact is that, um, you know, whether anyone would want to listen back, we did do a daily podcast uh, during the Pyeongchang Olympics. And, uh, you know, it was uh, clearly that effort that we put in has been rewarded. We are one of the top five Olympic audio podcasts in the world because of that. It's just such a, a tragedy for our listeners that they're going to have to wait another three years till our next Olympic podcast. I'm already preparing it. <laughs> yeah, well, we're learning more about Team GB, aren't we? Um, we've had another review on iTunes. Thanks for your reviews on iTunes. I think that, you know, they all they all make a difference to people finding us. This one is from, well, the username is Jan Yurt, but I'm pretty sure she's called, he or she is called Jan, or possibly Yan, maybe. But anyway, it says, I've been listening to the Knowledge is Powder ski podcast since the Pyeongchang Olympics. And although the first few were a bit ropey due to sound, uh, I now find them very entertaining, informative, and have a natural flow, which is great. Great range of topics covered, including resorts, industry news, equipment. I look forward to future episodes. Well, Jan, we look forward to you listening to our future episodes. And to the listener out there who's listening to this right now, please feel free to drop along to iTunes and, uh, and give us a review on there. Um, look forward to hearing what you have to say. Um, I don't suppose um, my best friend Dave Marmot has uh, reviewed us, uh, been in touch, has he? Uh, well, Dave, you seem to have a personal relationship with him. I've not met him. Dave of the Marmots. Um, I think he does listen to the show because he did say that they're sometimes too long. So I think uh, he'd be very pleased that our last one was 50 minutes long, uh, Dave. And uh, we'll see what length this one uh, comes out at. But um, appreciate your comments all the way. Also, a friend of mine, Dave Moore, I won't pretend it's a review. He just uh, sent me a message saying he's really enjoying the uh, podcast. So thanks very much. We also had an extremely lengthy and you know very interesting um, email from, I'm going to say Lee. Yeah, that's what I've got. And he opens his um, email by saying, um, I think your podcasts are too short. Please read out this full 500 word email. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He says, Ian, I am loving your podcast. That's like loving, but with lots of views in it. I love the chat about skiing, uh, coming at it from all angles. It's a great listen. And, uh, you know, Lee, we really appreciate that. There's a whole bunch of things that you've mentioned in there. Um, you want to cover any of them, Jim? Uh, he's clearly, I mean, I feel that he wrote to you, not me, because you're the one that in previous episodes have talked about sex dungeons. 
Um, and I like right. the fact he went on to give you a, a, a book club recommendation. <laughs> 120 Days of Sodom, uh, which is apparently set in San Martin de Belmont. Oh, sorry, Helen, he says, don't put this in your book club. I'm assuming, yeah, Ian, that won't. you've read it. I haven't, but I did Wikipedia it, and according to Wikipedia, it's not set in San Martin de Belleville. But um, I'll put a link to that Wikipedia page in the reviews. I was also has that, that ruined your book review section on uh, Amazon as well? Now, no, no, it hasn't. <laughs> He's also said uh, addressed the fact that someone said we are dull. He said, "Yes, you do seem a tad dull." <laughs> Which, but he was very complimentary. He says, listening to other podcasts, they're mostly far worse. <laughs> so the good news is we're dull, but not as dull as other podcasts. And he also wrote in that, though, he, he compared us to other podcasts he listened to, which are SEO and financial based, which uh, doesn't really say much for us. <laughs> well, he does say skiing. He does say skiing as well. Yeah. And he says, our lips are star, and I think you're doing well. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate that, Lee. And something else you mentioned in, in episode 32, I talked about October skiing at October half term. Uh-huh. You've asked for some more information on that. So um, definitely going to run a feature on skiing at October half term uh, in due course. Absolutely. And he suggested a few other things, um, such as uh, how to teach yourself to ski, which I've essentially done. So we can cover that. I'm very interested in um, taking that forward. And there's lots of other things, ski lengths. I'm, I'm interested in finding out that as well. I mean, essentially, yeah. he could be our producer. He could tell us what to put <laughs> in the show and we can uh, just go out and do it. Cool. Well, thanks very much for your uh, email, Lee, and everyone else. Uh, feel free to, listener out there, feel free to uh, email us as well. Uh, you can email us, Ian, at the Ski Podcast. That's I-A-I-N, in case anyone's been Ian, emailing the other Ian. Um, or Jim at theskipodcast.com. Um, find us on Facebook, tweet us at the Ski Podcast, or like I said before, um, Ian is on Twitter at, the, at uh, I'm sorry, uh, Skipedia, at Skipedia, where you can find me on Instagram, which is the average skier. And as always, don't forget to share us with your cool ski mates. Just drop them an email with a link, all right? In the last podcast, we spoke to Mark from Snow Only, um, a property website portal. Um, he, on his trip, went to someone or someone um, in the Grand Massif. And I've never been there, so I got him to record this to tell us what it's like in resort. Hey Jim, hope you're well. Uh, this week, I would like to tell you a bit about my experience in the wonderful resort of Samoen in France. Uh, Samoen has a resort height of 1,600 metres, so a good snowshore resort and part of the Grand Massive ski area that includes Morillon, Flen and Le Carreau, and only a very convenient 57 kilometres from Geneva Airport, so appealing for all comers from every corner of the globe. What people uh, might not know is that 80% of the Grand Massive slopes are facing north, which means that the snow is not only abundant, but also of excellent quality, with plenty of tree runs to make it a little bit more interesting. Some really cruisy blues and over 250 kilometres of runs in total. Definitely up there of one of my uh, favourite ski areas, with a massive 14-kilometre leg-burning run, if you're up for it. the ski area stats are that 67 ski lifts, 142 slopes, uh, 23 green slopes, 60 blue, 47 red and 12 black. So certainly something for everyone. 
There is also some good investment opportunities if you're in the market for a ski property with the new Club Med having opened on its slopes a year ago and the development of luxury flats built by renowned developer MGM, MGM currently for sale. With high-end resorts such as Val d'Azere at around €20,000 per square metre, Samoens come in, comes in at a very reasonable price of around five to €6,000 per square metre. So plenty of room for appreciation as long as the resort has the intention to become bigger and better, which seems to be the case with the new developments and a wonderful ice skating rink just built. Uh, with golf and hiking in the summer, makes this a good year-round investment opportunity. The resort is authentic and for me has a real sense of space rather than being uh, a little bit claustrophobic with narrow streets which is something that is quite appealing to me but maybe not to everyone. Um, In summary, most of the property prices are there because there is a reason. Either they are less desirable, have less promotion maybe, uh, less VIPs, less celebrities. But it's not to say that it can't be changed. Uh, The mentality of any resort has to change and adapt to where it wants to be in the marketplace. If you can invest in a resort as a buyer that wants to be bigger than what it is naturally, then there's naturally an appreciation in property price. We've seen this all over the world and not just ski resorts. Uh, Samoan seems to be getting a lot of coverage at the moment and they are investing in good infrastructure of the resort, uh, new developments, exciting developments um, and for me this is the perfect place uh, to invest. Really, really good ski area, a very, very convenient location and and room to grow uh, which for me is fundamentally important. If you are considering buying or selling a property, then Snow Only is the only place for you. An impartial platform dedicated to ski properties with over 3,500 properties listed. If you can't find what you're looking for, then sign up to their property alerts and be informed when it's available. Snowonly.com. Mountains of property. Uh, after that message from Mark, uh, I've had a bit of a look around the Snow Only website and can see that you can get anything from a studio in Samuel. Um, from 80,000 euros up to the, a beautifully renovated five-bed farmhouse. Um, that's 780,000 euros. And if you've got even more cash for nearly just under 2 million, there's an eight-bed chateau. So worth checking out. Um, for me, though, the highlight that I saw, if I was going to invest, I'd probably go for the Alexan um, MGM new builds that are coming up. Uh, it's a great development. Uh, it's got pool, sauna, hot tub, steam room, spa and gym. Uh, so well worth a look if you're thinking about buying something over there. And the season uh, in the Grand Massif ends on the 22nd of April. Uh, I've got a few weeks left, so I'm going to try and get over there before the season is done. Now, Jim, I believe that you've um, just been out with a, a guide recently in in La Clusa. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's taken me all winter to kind of build up my knowledge and my ability at skiing. Because, you know, I've talked before how I'm, I was relatively new to skiing um, and I've only developed. Then I, I got to the point where I wanted to book an off-piece guide. Um, and I did the complete opposite of what most Brits do um, and undersold my ability. Right. Um, so I booked, I booked this guy called Ivan, who was recommended to me by many people. Um, and he is a bit of a local legend. He does a lot of stuff. And he comes across more as a, a life coach than a, a skier. 
Um, I did do a little chat with him on the top of the mountain after we walked quite away, um, and he can give you a little bit of an explanation about who he is and his approach to skiing and guiding. So I've just been out um, for an uh, afternoon or morning's guiding with Yvon. He is um, a different coach than I've experienced before. Um, right now, where are we? What's this point? This is Belasha. This is Belasha, and that needle there is. It's the needle of Belasha. The needle of Belasha. So we're about to go down uh, an exciting off-piste in the Labama area of the Cluser. Um, can you start by just telling us a bit about your guide to coaching, your your route to where you are now? Oh, it's a long route, <laughs> long time ago. Uh, it started with the, my competition experience, I presume. Uh, when I was a, a ski racer, um, had to deal with the uh, interference of, of the ego or the mental uh, uh, side of the, the body. And I, very young, I noticed that uh, it was for me the, the best way to perform, was working on my mental. I read a lot about this, I, I shared experience with a lot of competitors, and I remember um, uh, because I was a Daniel racer, I remember when we were learning the, 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 the course, uh, we were uh, doing a, a, a real uh, work on, on the, the mind to keep or to learn every distance, every turn, every uh, set of the, the, the competition. And visual <coughs> knowledge was very important for a Daniel racer. So I built up my experience starting from that time of my life and uh, as a ski coach later on I was really interested in, in uh, developing the mental of uh, people. I really thought that the technique was very uh, simple, it's just human technique and but the, the mental side is more much more complex and very hard to deceive <laughs> and very hard to understand. So I was always concerned to read about the people, read their mind, understand how they behave, why they behave such in such ways, not in the other and I, I started to uh, <coughs> have a strong experience, share, observe the people, the best competitors. The, the red books, one from, from Timothy Galloway, and he was talking about the, uh, <coughs> the top competitors. And the top competitors were concerned by one point of, of focus, one point of concentration. So I read all those books about coaching and say, wow, that's my life, that was my job. And I quit the ski competition. It took a while to connect the ski instruction, ski uh, coaching, and the coaching. But I really, from the beginning, about 20 years ago, I really understood that uh, it was connected and very powerful. So I learned the technique, the coaching technique, the lifestyle coaching technique, just kept the technique, didn't want into PNL and all those stuff because I thought it wasn't pure and clear. So I just kept the technique of helping people to understand the way they <coughs> they behave. And I ask people to listen to the story they have in their head while they're skiing, when they start skiing. So we've been out for three hours now and you've not really told me anything about skiing so far in terms of direct instruction, um, how to put my legs or um, all that position. Why is that important that you teach or you instruct or coach that way and why should people try this way of skiing? I've got to say, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and you're right, I have to overcome things, don't you? Yes, it's, technique is, skiing technique is as simple as walking. Nobody told you how to walk. 
you just walk and try and try again when you fell off you stand up and try again skiing is about the same technique is very simple just a few hints and then off you go the the more aware you are about what you're doing the more conscious you are <coughs> about how you, you feel and that specific moment is important it, this makes a huge difference just ask people to be more aware of one point of his body and he will correct instantly the, the, the bad movement he had. So uh, it's, it's more important to view, observe the, the mental side rather than the technical side. And you observe this morning, you change, you switch <coughs> your way of skiing, you adapt yourself to the snow conditions, which are not bad or good. Snow is the snow. Condition, conditions are, are what they are left on the, on the ground and you have to cope with that. Okay, right. Tell us <coughs> what's going to happen now. What can we expect for this final run, this final race? We're going to have a huge wow at the end. We're going to have a, the, the pleasure of, of skiing in a, in a wild open area, uh, up in a high mountain. We're going to discover a variety of, of snow. And, uh, I mean, you're going to feel great skier at the end of this. It's going to be a wow day. Good, I'm pleased. Well, I'm glad I've used this excuse to catch my breath back. Let's, <laughs> let's go and try and do some skiing, shall we? Cool. So, yeah, essentially, and I know it's, um, uh, he, he had a little bit of a cough. Um, it was quite funny because he kept pronouncing, he was eating almonds before the interview, um, and um, but he pronounced almonds hormones. So he kept offering me hormones throughout the day, which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> um, but essentially, yeah, he doesn't necessarily believe in telling you what to do um, in terms of, you know, this is wrong, this is how you correct your posture. He believes in um, asking you questions about how you felt, um, how you feel you want to develop. Uh, it is very life coachy and very zen, which I enjoyed and I enjoyed the experience. But, I, you know, I didn't necessarily improve my technique, but I had a very nice time. Yeah, but a guide isn't necessarily... When I think of a guide, I don't really think of someone who's going to be giving you technique. I think of someone who's going to guide you to great bits of snow where you're going to be and be able to make those decisions for you as to whether or not it's it's safe to go down a certain pit. Well, this session was meant to be a bit of both, um, uh, as I said. But, yeah, um, he was very zen-like. Um, it's a different, completely different experience to what I was expecting. Uh, we did some very challenging stuff there first. I mean, this is the first time I've gone off. When I was doing season and I was young and reckless, we used to go hiking around Courchevel and, you know, do whatever we chose. But now I feel I'm more responsible. I wanted to do it in a, in a grown-up way, hence the reason um, yeah. I asked someone to show me around. Me and a, a friend of mine, another Dave, would you believe, um, did it and you know it's getting towards the end of the season it hadn't snowed for a while but he took it he did like you know, did the right thing he took us to a place where there was amazing pockets of powder uh, and showed us how to be safe so I'm going to do some more of that Ian I think it's encouraged me that I think that's the way I want to spend my time out Excellent. here well I, I see you progressing into Team GB down the track um, that is a nice link but I don't think I will be supporting being a part of Team GB unless they need someone to clean their goggles. You know, like the guy in Formula One who wipes the visors at the pit stop? Right. Maybe I could do that for some of the members of Team GB. Yeah, they could be that. Well, you know all about ski servicing, so maybe you could service their skis. Yeah, I'm not sure Dave Riding would like to. But anyway, and this is preamble to the, the important part of what is 
the final scores for Team GB this season. You've got the roundup for us. Well, final scores. What episode was it where I said that Dave Riding is probably, you know, going to be a top 10 skier? I can't remember, but I remember you giving me a very hard time about saying that. He said I'd be surprised if you finished in the top 10, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I think if a lot of listeners listen back, that won't be true. Anyway, he came 12th at the World Cup Finals, the end of season event, meaning he finished 9th overall for the season, which uh, the highest he's ever been is 8th. And, you know, 9th is still, it's bloody good. He's obviously had some podiums, uh, you know, in that time as well. It's best that she was second, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was in one of the parallel slalom events rather than, um, you know, a slalom event. But he, he still had another very consistent season. It just needs to, you know, try and get that step up um, to to be, you know, regularly on the podium. But it's still a good season. Charlotte Banks, who we interviewed, you know, back in the past, track it down uh, through the website. She moved from France to Team GB as a snowball cross skier. She came uh, fourth overall. She came fourth at the World Cup finals, the end of season event, and she obviously got a silver at the uh, the World Championship. So uh, that was pretty good. Um, just a little mention for uh, Charlie Guest. She, I think, she became the first British skier to win a Europa Cup slalom. And I always think of like Europa Cup as being sort of the championship for the Premiership. Okay. You know, it's where improving skiers, you build up your fist points. If you do well enough in that, then you'll get into the uh, the World Cup event. Um, Jasmine Taylor. We know that she's had a great season. Unfortunately, she didn't pick up anything at the World Championships because they're in the season event. Jan Farrell, do you know him at all? I think we mentioned him in the last episode. Yep, I know Jan. I've met him before. He's a very nice chap. Have you? Mm. Right, okay. He's a speed skier. Okay, so he came 12th in their, I think it was World Championships, but the most recent event. How fast do you think he managed to go? To come in 12th place. To come in 12th place. Well, um, there's a speed trap in uh, the Clouser Resort, and I've been, you know, I've been clocking around about 48 kilometres, which is pretty fast. <laughs> so I'm going to guess maybe double that, 88 kilometres an hour. Not even double that, uh, 96. To, to, to get into 12th place, he recorded 220.85 kilometres an hour. Whoa, that's fast. <laughs> That's double the speed. That's double the speed on the uh, motorway. <clears throat> it's terrifying, if you ask me. Absolutely terrifying. What's incredible is not even that it's over a really long period. That's a really fast acceleration, isn't it? It's less than nine hundred meters. They do these runs in, I think. Yeah, it's it's just the thought of wiping out. <laughs> it's, you know, at, you think when you're talking about going 48 or whatever it is, sometimes, you know, on my on my Garmin, I don't use that key track thing, but, you know, you can see that you've hit quite high speed. But um, 20 kilometres an hour, blow you ridiculous. And you know that um, they have literally zero protection. They've got those crazy helmets, um, uh, which I think are more fiberglass molded to the be aerodynamic than they are to protect then they just yeah. wear those um tight leather suits so no protection um at yeah. all so it is an incredibly dangerous mental sport yeah mental absolutely um can i just throw something in this isn't on our uh on our uh, agenda for today uh but um, I got a press release this morning. Have you seen this one at all? That there's going to be an anti-Brexit demonstration 
at um, Borg Samaris train station uh, on Saturday the 6th of April. Is there? Hang on, aren't yeah, we meant uh, to be, this... we're recording this on the 28th of March, we're meant to leave tomorrow. <laughs> well, it's the 12th of April is the new uh, 29th of March. But um, it, it's being organised by French ski resorts. Uh, Les Arcs and Val d'Azaire um, are teaming up uh, with the idea of spreading the message that it's not too late to reconsider Brexit. And they want to show how, impo- um, how important their British clients are. I'm literally reading this off a press release that I received you know, earlier in the day. Um, they're going to be welcoming Eurostar passengers um, with music and breakfast ahead of the Eurostar departure for London. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how much difference it'll make, but um, it's a nice effort that they're, they're, they are making, I guess. I think it's, it's good that they care. Um, I might go along, find out what's happening. Yeah. It's not very far. It's a couple of hours for me. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, what did we say? Sixth of, Saturday the 6th of April at 7am. Oh, no, yeah, I'm, so not, I'm, I'm not going. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually arriving into, I'm going to be in Lehman Weir uh, at that time when I'm going to be uh, covering a whole bunch of things. going to try that um, double zip wire that they've got in Valterre cool. uh, while I'm there, uh, do a bit of um, ski touring. And it's also yoga week in, uh, in Lehman Weir. So I'll cover any, any number of those things in, in future podcasts. But I, I didn't know you were a yoga. Oh, yeah. Yoga, very good for your skiing. But this is a whole week of yoga in Lehman Weir where they have all sorts of different sessions, uh, adults, children, specific to skiing, non-specific, but, you know, flexibility, very good for your skiing. <clears throat> if, you, if you actually listen to that um, uh, Warren Smith interview with, uh, with Dave on that other podcast, Warren's, one of Warren Smith's philosophy is all about that kind of mobility and the importance of mobility. So, yeah, yoga, very good. Yoga week in Lehman Weir, I'll be reporting on that. But the point is, I'm quite near Paul Summerese, but I'm not actually going to drive all the way down the valley to get to that to check it out, I'm afraid. Just write it on a bit of snow and someone will take a picture of it and put it on the internet. Ah, now that rings a bell. Very viral. If our listeners haven't seen it, I'll drop it in the show notes. Viral picture of cancelled Brexit written in the snow in Maribel. Why do you think it went viral? People so shocked that... Um... British people in Maribel might have an opinion, or do they believe it was a French person that wrote it and they were shocked? Can't I don't know, or does it just look nice written in the snow? I think it looked nice written in the snow, didn't it? And the timing was was quite good. And yeah, another. I, I can't imagine it was written by a French person, but they say annulate Brexit or something like that. Um, I don't think many of our politicians would have been able to understand it if it was written in French. Well, who knows? God, let's not talk about Brexit. No, we don't talk about Brexit on this show, do we? No, exactly. Good. And I take it, you know, you asked me about skiing. You've got skiing coming up? (laughs) Yep. uh, I'm going to go skiing probably about an hour's time for a little bit. Um, I'm going to do some ski de fond, which I'm looking forward to um, next week. So cross-country skiing. Yeah, cross-country skiing. Um, Essentially, I'm going to get my children to teach me because they've been having lessons um, uh, as part of their PE. Good. Part of their PE. How cool is that? that is very when cool. you're when you're at school, you have to do when it's school in the UK, you do cross country running around the field, and when you're in school in France, you do cross country on skis. That's fantastic. Um, and you know, it's the same rule though. If you forget your PE kit, you still got to do it in your pants. 
Excellent. Um, right, so you're going to do us a report on cross-country skiing? I will do that, yes. Yeah, nice. Um, if you've um, been watching anything recently, and I know I, um, you watch a bit of Ski Sunday, but um, have you been watching anything else ski-related on the... In the world. Well, to be honest with you, I I am always watching stuff, but I haven't watched this one. But you mentioned uh, uh, this. I I realise on Netflix they have um, a series called The Horn. Yep. Now, when I first saw that, I was slightly concerned that it was going to be wrong rating and the wrong type of program. But it turns out to be uh, about Air Zerma, um, oh. and that is the program that you. I haven't watched it yet, but you mentioned it before and said it was pretty unexciting because cameras are never there at the right time no i think that was another one um that was done before this the horn is a lot better Uh, um i've watched a couple of episodes of it Um, what struck what struck me about the horn is that um there's a lot of bigging each other up um you know he's the best ski pilot in the world and he's the best rescuer in the world um there's a lot of that there's dutch pilots in switzerland yeah that's right um they're the best in the world um, and the other thing i noticed about it is um there's quite a lot of uh, a lot of it happens in snow motion which would really irritate me if i was waiting to be rescued um, <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah it's watchable it's it's nice um and you know it makes you definitely never want to fall down uh, a crevasse ever and yeah. you know they are talented people i remember last summer when i was um in chevinia watching the, the pilots um, rescuing someone off the cliff of the Matterhorn is an impressive thing. Wow. And it was them, was it? It was Air Zermatt. Um, yeah, it was the Red Air Zermatt helicopter. They've got a couple. They've got more than one. Um, Do they have a feature in there when you know Zermatt got cut off last season because of the snow and the only way people could get in and out was by taking a transfer with Air Zermatt by helicopter? Um, I haven't that. got that far yet. Right, okay. right, I'll have to catch up with you on that. Hopefully I'll do that by by episode 34, which will be coming up in perhaps two or three weeks' time. That's it. All right, then, Ian. Well, I will catch you in episode 34, and I look forward to that. And next time, we'll be talking about Ian's trip to Leibniz. We're going to do a bit more about spending some time in the Alps. And, of course, we'll be referring back to producer Lee's notes about what we shall be recovering next um, for show. Yeah. We'll do, we're going to cover one of those every week um, until we run out of that list, and then we'll get him to send us some more in. Yeah. So, thank you, everyone. We've also got an interview. We, sorry, we've also got an interview, which I did last week, with Frank Baldwin, who's the uh, editor and publisher of Skier and Snowboarder magazine, Ooh. about how magazines have changed, uh, ski magazines have changed over the years. It's, I found it very interesting chatting with him about that. Smashing. Well, I look forward to that. Okay, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Um, don't forget to get in touch with the show. Go to our website, theskipodcast.com. As always, thanks to our sponsors. Um, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.